I believe it was Juliet in Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet who asked the famous question, what's in a name? And as she found out, the answer to that is everything. Everything. For example, I want to do a little interaction with you this morning. I'm going to mention the name of several people, and I know it's still a little early, and I know you're trying to trying to do a little bit more of this, but feel free to shout out the first thing that comes to your mind when I mention this person's name, okay? Martin Luther King Jr. Civil rights. Freedom. I have a dream speech. Yeah, we we associate different things with the name Martin Luther King Jr., don't we? All right, how about this for you literary folks? Jane Austen, writer, Pride and Prejudice. Yeah, the book we were all forced to read in high school, correct? (laughs) I'm kidding. It's a great book. <laughs> Let's go a little different direction. Adolf Hitler. <laughs> There's something in the name, isn't there? Evil. Murderer. And then one more for us Illinois folks, Michael Jordan. <laughs> the greatest basketball player ever, right? When I mention those names, isn't it true that you think about certain things, you remember certain events, you experience even certain emotions, yes? Why? Because names represent something important about people. It represents who they are, what they've done, and how they've lived. Their names are a summary of everything about those individuals. God understands the importance of names perhaps more than anyone. That's why at different times in Scripture you see God naming people. For example, Adam. He gave the name Adam. More often than not, though, what God will do is rename a person. You see that go over and over again in the Bible. He takes the name Abram and changes it to what? Abraham. Why? Because Abraham means the father of many nations, which is exactly what he would become. Jesus took the name Simon and changed his name to what? Peter, which means rock. In a sense, Jesus is saying to him, I'm going to take you from this wishy-washy guy and turn you into a pillar of faith for me, even today, every one of us were probably given a name that at least had some significance to our parents, whether it was just because they liked the name or, or what. And all of us understand the importance of having a, quote, good name in society, right? We want to have a good name in our community. Why? Because our name represents who we are. And if you are a Christian, there is no name that is as important as the name of our Lord. Amen. No name as important as God's name. In fact, so important is God's name that he includes it in the number three spot on his list of ten do's and don'ts for all eternity. We're in a series called Ten, a study of the Ten Commandments as a church here this fall. And if this is your first week joining us, uh, let me just explain to you why we're doing this series. We don't believe the Ten Commandments are outdated for a 21st century America. We think they are still as relevant for us today. However, we want to change our mentality on how we view them. So often we've thought of the Ten Commandments as rules meant to stifle our lives, to suck all the enjoyment out of our life. However, what we're arguing in this series, and I hope you've been beginning to see that, if you're following on your notes, maybe you're getting sick of this line, but it's going to be there again. We're discovering that God's boundary lines, the Ten Commandments, are actually a gift to us. They're a gift to us. God has given us these as a gift because ultimately they are going to lead to what? Freedom. God wants the best possible life for us. He wants us to live free lives in His Son, Christ. And by following these commandments, 
we're arguing that we really will have the freest possible life. And so far, we've looked at the first two commandments, honor God alone and honor God rightly. And if you were here a couple weeks ago, you remember Jeff saying, the first four commandments of the Ten Commandments are all about our relationship with the Lord. And the next six, the last six, are all about our relationship with each other. So this morning, we're on commandment number three, which means we're still talking about how uh, we function in our relationship with who? The Lord. And so important was God's name that he included it as the number three commandment in his ten commandments. And I wonder why. Why is honoring God's name so important to him? And even beyond that, if we do start honoring in name, his name, how is that going to lead to even greater freedom in our lives? And quite simply, I'm going to give you the conclusion to the whole message right here in that introduction. If you're falling on your notes, it's because of this. How we treat God's name reflects how we treat God. How we treat God's name reflects how we treat God. Just like all those names I mentioned earlier, the name of the Lord represents something more than just a title of address. It represents who He is in His name then. The way we represent His name represents what we think about Him. How we treat Him. Our relationship with Him. Now, I would guess that most regular churchgoers, when they think of the third commandment, they think about cursing or using you know, God's name as profanity. Uh, and so they imagine we can sit back now and we can relax, right? But as we've been discovering with all the Ten Commandments, there's way more to this commandment that meets the eye. I've been looking at it this whole week, and we're going to discover here that, uh, let me just quote here, in a recent poll, 60% of Americans say they've used God's name in vain. And I'm just going to show you by the end of this morning, that number is actually 100%, including me. Because there's so much more than meets the eye to hear. Now my goal is not, this is going to be a heavy uh, message, and my goal is not that we all get beat up. How we've misused God's name, and oh, there's no hope for me. That's not the idea. The idea is to exalt His name once again to the place it belongs in our lives. With reverence and respect and honor. That's what this is all about. How can we honor God's name? Okay? So that's where we're heading. Take your, headed, take your Bibles, turn it again, hopefully you're getting used to this, to Exodus chapter 20. And this commandment is in verse 7. Just one verse this morning. If you don't have your own Bible, you can grab a black Bible in the seat in front of you. We say this every week. If you don't own a Bible, take it home with you. We want you to have that as a gift. And you can find this on page 52. Now, here's what you guys always laugh about. We have one verse, and I printed it on your notes, and we're going to read it from your notes. So why did you need to open your Bible? Because I'm going to have you actually turn back uh, to a section in Exodus, and we're going to actually look at it, okay? However, I will just ask you, could you read from your notes the version I printed out of this commandment there so we're all saying the same thing? It says on your notes what? You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Again, at first glance, it seems pretty simple, but as I got into it this week, I started asking a number of questions about that, and maybe you see some questions yourself. I like asking questions. The first question I asked is, what name exactly is God talking about? What name for God is he talking about right here? I mean, perhaps you know this already, but there are over 300 names for God in the Bible. 
You got to see some of them as we were singing that song, you know, wonderful names of God. So which one is he talking about? Is he talking about all of them? Is he referring to a specific name? And here's where I need your help. Turn 17 chapters back from that Ten Commandment to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. As you're turning there, let me explain what's happening Moses, if you remember, has left Egypt. He murdered someone. He left. He became a shepherd, a nobody out in the middle of nowhere. And so there he is, shepherding his flock in the middle of nowhere, when all of a sudden he sees this bush that is on fire. And that's not really a big deal in the wilderness. However, what he noticed is that bush isn't burning up. And so he says, i got to go check this out. So he checks out this bush that is in fire, on fire but not burning up. And all of a sudden, God's manifest presence in the bush speaks to him. He says, Moses, come closer. Moses, take off your sandals because the place you're standing is on holy ground. If you remember what God says to him, he says, I've heard the cries of my people, Israel, and I am going to send a deliverer to free them from their slavery there. And if you know the rest of the story, you know Moses is like, sounds great, I'm the guy. (laughs) Not at all. He comes up with every excuse in the book why he should not be the guy to lead the people of Israel out of slavery. And one of those excuses is what I want us to focus on this morning. Look at it in Exodus chapter 3, verse 13. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And we come in verse 14 to one of the most important verses, honestly, in all of Scripture. Because in this verse, God reveals his name to us as human beings. Look at what he said. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you. If you're following on your notes, the word I am is the Hebrew word Yahweh. God's name is Yahweh. Let me spell that. Y-A-H-W-E-H, Yahweh, I am, meaning he who is or causes to be, he who is or causes to be. This is God's personal name he reveals to Moses, and it reveals the fact that God was not created. He just is, and he always was, and he always will be. Now, can I give you a quick Hebrew Bible lesson. Are you up for that for a second here? This will help, I think, uh, when you're reading your Bible on your own. In English, this will be the last time they will refer, they will call God, I am. From then on, in your English translations, they will take the Hebrew word Yahweh, and they will translate that as Lord with all capital letters. Okay, so every time you see the word Lord in your English Bible, it's the name Yahweh or Jehovah. Jehovah. However, God is also referred to as Lord with lowercase letters, so that starts to get a little bit confusing. The difference is that's a different Hebrew word used to describe God. That's the Hebrew word for Adonai. Excuse me, yeah, Adonai. That's the Hebrew word Adonai. And then what is the most common way God is referred to in the Bible? I'm saying it all the time right now. What is it? God. And that is yet another different Hebrew word. That's the word Elohim. And so, while Adonai and Elohim are descriptions that we have made of God, humans have named God, you know, God and Lord, ruler, Yahweh. Yahweh is the name that God has revealed himself to us. In fact, just think about this for a second. Isn't it true that every single one of us have been given a name? Who is the only person in the entire universe who that is not true of? Yahweh. I am. 
I am who I am. I existed before names were even a thing. And by the way, quick, really important side note here, because I always love to connect the Old Testament to the New Testament. What got Jesus most in trouble with the religious leaders of his day? When he referred to himself as what? I am. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What is he saying there? It's blasphemous. I am the sovereign, eternal, pre-existing creator. I am the same God that appeared to Moses at the burning bush, but instead this time of delivering people from slavery to a nation, I'm going to deliver the people from slavery to sin. Wow. I am. That's God's name. As, as we start unpacking the meaning of the name, it becomes obvious, I think, friends, it's more than a title. This name is just more than a title of address. Indeed, if you've ever understood the history of names, especially among the Hebrew people, names were everything. <coughs> names were everything because if you're falling on your notes, a name represents a person's character, a person's reputation, and a person's authority. Can I just sum that up? A name is the person. A name was the same as the person. For example, Jesus was told to, or excuse me, example, Mary was told to give her child the name what? Jesus. Now, is that just because God liked Jesus better than John or Levi or some other Hebrew name? No way. It's because there was an importance attached to the name Jesus. What does Jesus mean? Savior. Literally, it means Savior, and that's who He is. It's who He would become. It's who we still worship Him as today. His name means everything. In the same way, Yahweh is more than just a way to refer to God. It's a description of who He is, right? I mean, think about it. Think about it. His character. What is it? How does it describe His character? It describes it as pre-existing. As the creator, not, not a created one. How about his reputation? This name for God would always be in the mind of the Israelites be associated with the fact that he is deliverer. He is the covenant God who entered into a relationship with them and delivered them from slavery, from Egypt, and also his authority. He's sovereign. Nobody named him. He is who he is and he causes all to be. Quite simply, friends, he is the name above all other names. Amen? And we better be careful with how we treat this name. That's what this command is all about. So that leads to a second question I ask of this text. Perhaps you're wondering it too. What does it mean to misuse the name of the Lord? What does it mean to misuse the name of the Lord? Some of you are familiar with the older translations of this, which says, don't take up the name of the Lord, what? In vain. In vain. What does it look like? Well, literally, on your notes, the word misuse, this is interesting, means empty, careless, or insincere. Empty, careless, or insincere. The idea is don't use God's name, or honestly, any of God's names, in an empty, careless, or insincere way. Now, listen, this can happen in any number of ways, can it? I want to mention four ways uh, this can happen in any of our lives. Uh, the first way we can misuse God's name is the way we all think about it. It's that in profanity. We can profane God's name if you're following on your notes. We misuse God's name when used as profanity. I mean, isn't it true? We live in a day right now that you can hardly watch a movie, turn on the radio, read a novel, or watch TV without hearing God's name profaned in some way. Christ isn't Jesus' last name. 
Everywhere you look, people are profaning the name of Jesus. You know what profane means? This is, in, this is really interesting. What does profane mean? It means taking something that is holy and to be exalted and bringing it down to our level. That's what it means. It just means bringing something that should be higher and bringing it down to my level. And isn't that exactly what's happening when people profane the name of God? I'm trying to reduce God down to my level. Now, maybe you don't struggle with profaning God's name. So maybe you're like, I'm off the hook here. But here's a question for us if we're Christians. What do we do when others are? I mean, what do you do when you're standing at the water cooler and someone's profaning the name of Jesus? What do you do when you're watching that movie and it's just coming over and over, GD this, JC this? What do you do when you're reading that novel? What should be our response when God's name is being dragged through the mud? I have seen men fight other men because they profane the name of their wife or their girlfriend or their mama. I have seen men and women risk their lives and their limb for the name of a loved one or for the name of this nation. What is our response to be when God's name is being profaned? I don't have an answer for your life. But I've got to come to a conclusion in my own life about how I respond to that. Do I keep watching the movie or do I turn it off? Do I say something at the water cooler? Maybe I just walk away because I don't want to be a part of it. I don't know. But, but I want to stand up for God's name the way it deserves to be honored. And, you know, that's just one thing I think you're going to have to decide on your own. I'm going to give you some freedom in that. I can't tell you what to do. A second way God's name is misused is when making a false oath. O-A-T-H, oath. Now, this is actually the main abuse God is addressing in this command. Literally, it reads, Do not lift up the name of the Lord in vain. And the word lift up is used in legal situations. It was used in court situations when someone would take an oath. So what this is saying is don't lift up the Lord's name when you're going to take an oath that you know you're going to break. And this was happening all the time among the people of Israel. They were uh, you know, adding the name of the Lord to a promise uh, that they were going to make. And so God's like, don't do that anymore. Why? Because you're calling me as a witness and you're staking my name and my reputation on that oath that you're making. We still do this today when we say, I swear to God. I swear to God. What are we doing there? We're saying, as God is my witness. His name on the line, his reputation on the line, the next thing I'm going to say out of my mouth is true. Although what I've learned is that most times when people are saying that, they're usually lying. Right? I mean, it's the way to kind of like boost what I'm trying to get somebody uh, to say here. Now, there have been people like the Quakers who took this then as a command to never make an oath, even in a law court. Is that what this is commanding us, do you think? I don't think so, because you go to the New Testament and you see Jesus uh, was put under an oath before, before the high priest. Paul gives his sworn oath to the Galatians, if you remember that series, that he's telling the whole truth. In fact, if you actually dig into the Old Testament, this was really new to me this week, God actually encourages his people to take oaths in his name. Look at Deuteronomy 10, 20 with me. Fear the Lord your God and serve him. Now this last part. Hold fast to him and take your oaths in his name. Take your oath in his name. That's interesting. He's willing to put his name on the line for us. But the issue becomes 
you better not break it. You better not break that oath because my reputation and my character and my name are all on the line. Now, what does this look like for us today? I mean, honestly, the only thing we're thinking about right now is when we're called as a witness in court, right? I swear to tell the whole truth, so help me God. And that's true, but I thought about there's many other oaths we take in God's name that we just don't even consider. Think about marriage. When you stand before you know, the pastor, and when you are standing before God and this other person, what actually are you doing on your wedding day? You're making a covenant. You're taking an oath in God's name for better or for poorer, you know, for sickness and in health. I swear, if we're Christians getting married, I swear I stake God's name on it till death do us part. How about the people who were just baptized this morning? If you think behind what's actually going on there, what are they doing? When they answer those questions, are you willing to let them be the Lord of your life from this day forward? Yes. What are they saying? I'm making an oath to God that I will follow him to the best of my human ability. How about, most importantly, maybe when we take communion together? The word communion comes from the word sacrament. And that was literally when soldiers would make an oath of loyalty to their king or to their emperor back in the day. They would take an oath. So listen, one of the things we do among many when we take communion together is we are reminding ourselves of our loyalty to Christ as our King and as our Savior alone. We make oaths all the time as Christians. How are we doing in keeping them? If we're breaking them, we're violating the third command. Third way God's name is misused is simply when we're careless or mindless in our use of it. As I said, the word misuse, what did it literally mean? That first word there? Empty. Right? Just empty. Nothingness. Meaninglessness. So when we speak carelessly, thoughtlessly, or flippantly about God or using God's name, we can be dishonoring His name. You know, the Jews took this so seriously, they, some of them stopped even saying out loud the name Yahweh for fear that they would misuse it. Should we take it that seriously? No. I don't think so, because God is a personal God, isn't he? He has revealed himself to us. He has entered into a covenant relationship with us. I don't know of any other relationship that you can't use one another's names. God is okay with using his name, with us using his name. However, we can get careless in our use of it. For example, this is one of my crusades right now. This phrase everybody's saying, OMG, or oh my God. Listen, I'm not saying that's like the worst sin in all the world or something. However, are we honoring God's name when we just use him in that kind of careless, flippant way? I, I, I don't think so. How about when we like to use what I call religion ease? That's the language we've created as Christians sometimes, right? Praise the Lord. I'm just suffering for Jesus. We're not even thinking about what we're saying when we're using those names sometimes, are we? It's just it's careless. It's just mindless. It comes out of our mouths. How about when we slap God's name on a t-shirt or a bumper sticker to boost sales? How about when we use his name in prayers without any real function? This happens to me all the time. Does it happen to you? I'll be praying. I'll be really focused. And all of a sudden, I'll lose my mind. I'll just start getting distracted. But then if I say spiritual things like Lord and Jesus, then I feel like I'm doing the right thing. Jesus warned us about doing that very thing, didn't he? When he talked about prayer, he said, 
think about what you're saying, especially when you're using God's name. Don't just babble. I can be a babbler at times. This has been an area of personal conviction for me for the last uh, 10 years, just the way I want to elevate uh, God's name in my life. So let me just tell you a couple things I've done, and maybe you think I've gone way overboard on this. One of the things I always do is I capitalize God's name no matter what. Even if it's he, like if it says he, uh, I wish all our Bibles did that, to be honest with you. Why? Is that, is that overboard? I think it's just a way for me to remind myself. You see it on your notes. We do it on the screen. Jeff does the same thing. It's a way to remind myself. He's not like me. He's different. He's other. He's I am. He deserves his name to be capitalized. Amen? Another way is when I'm singing here on Sunday morning. It can happen so easily where I just, I'm not even thinking about what I'm saying and what I've condition myself to do is just stop singing stop babbling with my mouth things that i'm not even connecting to my brain right now and and then i'll just read the words and i'll say you know yes that's who you are and then when i'm ready to connect my heart with my mouth again i'll start singing again and uh, one of the things we're doing right now i'm doing with my kids is reminding them who we're approaching when we pray right it's so easy to fall into the same rhythms and patterns dear lord thank you for this day thank you for the food thank you for the now let's stop We are approaching the throne of a holy God, the great I am. Again, is this going overboard? Maybe for you. It's been a good practice for me. I remind myself of Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 12. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. I might be standing there a long time. (laughs) I might be standing there a long time. However, on the judgment day, we also stand next to our advocate, Jesus, and we point to him. We say, well, he's washed me. With the blood, he's washed me clean. A fourth way, and to me the most dangerous misuse of all, is when we use it for a personal agenda. You read through the Old Testament, you know God sent prophets, right, to speak his word. And they would always say, thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. In other words, these are God's words, not mine. I represent God. And then what would happen is false prophets would come along and say, Thus saith the Lord. And what would happen wouldn't be true. And God takes that stuff so seriously in the Old Testament. Read Jeremiah 14. I reference on your notes sometimes. Still happens today. For example, there are some who teach, if you just tack on in Jesus' name at the end of your prayer, because there's so much power in the name of Jesus, and there is, that he's obligated to do whatever you just asked for. Is that why we say in Jesus' name at the end of our prayers, friends? No. No, not at all. That's trying to use God for a personal agenda. We say in Jesus' name because we're saying, Lord, everything that I just prayed is what Jesus would have prayed if he were the one doing the praying right now. So in his name we pray. Amen. That is pretty uh, interesting to think about every time I pray and I say that, right? Is this what Jesus would really want in my life? Can I really say, in Jesus' name, do this thing? But it, be, it can become casual. There's other examples today. People use God's name to boost their credibility by claiming God's on our side. I mean, think about history of how that's been done. Everything from the Crusades to the slave trade. God's name has been used to support that. It's still being used today, right? Saying God's on this political party's side. God's on that political party side. God is for this social cause. God is for that social cause. We can use God's name when we say, the Lord told me to do this. Or even worse, the Lord told me to tell you to do this. (laughs) If 
somebody says that to you, here's what I would always say to you. If what comes out of their mouth next does not align with what God has already told us in Scripture, then ignore it. Now, I'm not saying there aren't inward leadings of the Holy Spirit at times, but we better be careful when we have an inward leading of the Holy Spirit and it's for somebody else that it's going to align with what God has already spoken to be true in his Scripture, friends. Are we being careful with how we use the name of the Lord? Remember that poll I said 60%? You ready to be one of the hundred? I mean, this is heavy, serious stuff. And it leads me to a question, my third question that I wanted to ask about this text, which is, why does God care? so much about this i mean is he up in heaven like worrying oh i want him to use my name rightly is that what this is all about or or perhaps does god know something about our lives and he gave us this warning and he gave us this command because of what we've been talking about in this series there's actually some greater freedom for us to be found here you know i'm gonna argue the second right you know i'm gonna argue the second i'd argue that just like all the ten commandments it's because God loves us he gave us this commandment. It's because God loves us he gave us this commandment because he knows if you're falling again on your notes, this to me is just the key of it all. The way we use our mouths reveals the state of our hearts. And God is all about our hearts. Is that not the story of the Bible? The pursuit of people's hearts by the pre-existing God, Yahweh. It's our story. He cares about your heart. Now, we try to say that our mouth is really not a connection to what's really going on in my life spiritually, but then you read Scripture, and it's all over the place. That says exactly what's going on. Jesus says it repeatedly over and over again. What comes out of your mouth is a reflection of your heart. In fact, read one of those examples in Luke 6.45 on your notes I printed there. Jesus said, A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. I don't like to admit that. Because I say some pretty stupid things sometimes. I say some pretty mean things sometimes. You know, we have sayings like, well, I know she's got a vile mouth, but she's got a heart of gold. No! Scripture says we can't make that connection. What's coming out of my mouth is what's actually going on in my heart at that moment. The Bible says if you want a barometer of how your heart is towards the Lord, just take a listen of what's coming from your lips. And because God is all about our hearts, He's all about loving us, calling us into covenant relationship with Him, He has made this number three on His top ten list. It's about your heart. It's about your heart towards me. And because that's true, can we just close by offering three suggestions on how we can take this command seriously in our own lives? Does that sound okay? Number one, this is what I have to do this week, so I'm inviting you to do it too. Confess the sin of misusing the Lord's name. We've all done it. We might not even be aware that we've done it, but can we confess the sin in our lives of misusing the Lord's name? I feel pretty comfortable saying there's not one person in this room who has not broken the third commandment at some point in their life. I'm pretty comfortable saying that. But here's the good news. Just like any sin of ours, any sin, God says he will forgive. We simply need to, here's a good use of our mouth, confess 
that sin, and he is faithful and just, and he will forgive us of our sins. So what does that mean? It means speaking with my heart through my mouth. Lord, I agree with you. I agree. That's what confession is, agreeing with what the Lord says about something. I agree with you that whether it's been profaning your name, or using your name, or breaking a pledge, or just being careless with your name, I have taken your name in vain. I have misused the name of the Lord. And instead of making excuses, I call it what it is, and I say this is an issue of my heart. My heart is sick. I don't mean that in the bad way. I just It needs healing. It needs a washing. It needs a cleansing. And guess what? If you can truly say that with, from your lips, from a heart that believes it, what did Jesus' name mean again? Tell me. Savior. Savior from what? All of our sin. All of our shame. All of our guilt. We're cleansed, forgiven, sanctified. We're washed in the name of Jesus. And what a name it is, isn't it? Little amen there? Number two, speak of God's name reverently from now on. I like making spelling words challenging. (laughs) Reverently from now on. You know, the Bible, I love it. It's such a real book. It openly talks about the difficulty of controlling our tongue. It, it talks about how hard it is. James says, no one can control the tongue. And yet, God says, make every effort to use your tongue for honor, not for dishonors. And one of the ways we can do that as God's people is not misusing his name, but actually using it for worship, for praise. We can speak his name and magnify it and glorify it. You remember how Jesus taught us to pray, our Father who art in heaven? He starts by acknowledging who the one we pray to. I mean, that's how we should always start our prayers, right? Acknowledging who I'm talking to. I'm talking to Yahweh, the preexistent creator, the name above every other name. But then what's the next thing out of Jesus' lips? What's his number one concern in prayer? What's the word? Hallowed. Hallowed be your what? Name. You know what hallowed mean? It just means to set apart as holy, to honor something as holy. So we say in prayer, holy is your name, Yahweh. It is set apart. It is unlike any other name that has ever existed on earth. You are creator. You are sovereign. You are who you are, and there is no other like you. I set apart that name. I set apart that name as holy. By addressing God that way, Jesus models how we can now give him the reverence and honor that he's due when we speak his name. Now, if you're like kind of a newbie at some of this stuff, like I, I don't know what to say in prayer. How do I use, you know, my tongue to honor and glorify God's name? You know where a great place to start would be? The Psalms. I actually kind of as a joke wrote there in your message notes, Psalm 1 through 150. That's the entire book of Psalms. I mean, you want to learn things like how to ascribe glory to the name of God. You read the Psalms. You want to learn how to praise the name of God. Read the Psalms. Did you know that we can bless God's name? We always think of God blessing us, but it says we bless God when we praise his name, when we give him thanksgiving. I want to practice with you actually once. I put one of these verses there. Would you read it out loud with me on your notes? O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. That's speaking the name of the Lord in worship. Reverently, you're majestic. Lord, our Lord. Number three, live in a way that honors God's name. 
live in a way that honors God's name. I thought a lot about just ending at number two this week, but this hammered me this week. Not a trick question, so I'm not trying to trick you here, but what is a person called who is a follower of Jesus? What are we called? A Christian. Whose name do we bear? Whose name do we bear? If I call myself a Christian, whose name am I carrying in my life? Christ's. So think about this. That's sobering to me. Because that then means that my reputation and my character and my name is a direct reflection wherever I go now in this community of his reputation, of his authority, and of his name. I bear Christ's name if I am a Christian. That is sobering, but you know what? It's also incredibly inspiring to me. Because just by the way we live, we can glorify his name. Amen? We can bring that name into our world and we can elevate it. Christian. Followers of the name Christ. There is coming a day, friends, when the name of the Lord will no longer be misused. Indeed, every person is going to eternally praise this name. Paul writes in Philippians that because Jesus became obedient to death on a cross, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name. Now what name is that? What name did God give Jesus? Let's read Philippians 2, 10-11 out loud on our notes. It says that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now listen, the name above every other name is not Jesus. That's the name that He was given in His incarnation. God became human. Jesus, Savior. The name that's above every other name that every knee is going to hit the deck on the day of eternity and speak with reverence and honor is the name Lord. Jesus is Lord with all capital letters. He is Yahweh. I am. I have always been and I always will be. He is Alpha and Omega. And we will all speak His name. But here's the good news. We don't have to wait until that day. We do not have to wait until that day, do we? We can speak his name today by the way we live and by the way we treat him. That's awesome. That's awesome. But here's the question as we close. Am I honoring the Lord's name the way he deserves? Let's pray. Lord, I think I can speak on behalf of my brothers and sisters in this room that all of us have fallen short on this one. We've been careless. We haven't elevated your name the proper way, the reverence that you deserve, the holiness you deserve. We are casual in our worship of you at times. So we confess that as a sin this morning. From hearts to our lips we confess it and yet we receive your forgiveness that in the blood of Jesus Christ we are washed clean because he is the name above every other name 
And I want to pray for us now that we could live and speak in such a way that elevates this name in our lives. You deserve it. You deserve our honor. You deserve glory. You deserve reverence. Hallowed be your name, Lord. And together, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen.